the morning about break of day. That's when my baby went away. Trying and clean don't do me no good. Come back, baby, wish you would. Welcome to the People of St. James's podcast. My name is Alice Killian, and today I am talking to John Irvine and Sharian Lewitt. I first met John at the 8 a.m. worship, that dawn's early light church service that calls to the few but stalwart. We may not be many in number, but facing the rigors of getting to church early has forged us into a tight-knit band. And I first met Sharian in the context of Halloween. I thought I was a super fan of that holiday, but my fondness for it is as nothing in comparison to hers. She does it up in serious style. Oh, and John and Sharian are married and are of different faiths, and their household includes Ozone and Bella, of whom more in a bit. Hi, Sharian. Hi, John. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Alice. Hi, and we can I can hear Bella and Ozone sometimes in the background of the audio. So glad they're here. They're chatting. I'm so glad they could join us today. Just to set the scene, I wonder if you two could tell me about where you each grew up and a little about that and then how you met. So I grew up all over the place. So I was a Navy brat, and, and so my dad moved. I was born in Washington, D.C., and also lived in Norfolk, Virginia, in um, New York on Long Island, and California, and in Seattle, all over the place. I was born in Manhattan. I'm a New Yorker. Uh, we don't believe in crossing running water. So I was a senior in high school before I went to Brooklyn. And John thinks that my sense of U.S. geography is a little bit warped. I am nodding up and down because I also grew up in uh, Manhattan and then Queens. And I also have that same warped sense of uh, geography. He's just weird. (laughs) That's right. We outnumber him. Though who knows what Ozone and Bella think. Okay. Um, How did you two meet? We met in grad school in the dining hall. Yep. He tells the story better than I do about me making a bad joke. (laughs) So uh, folks that um, had lunch together on a regular basis, and I was invited to join. And in the middle of lunch, Sharon made a bad joke, and somebody (laughs) said, take her away. (laughs) And so a friend of mine and I picked up her chair with her in it and carried her out of the dining hall and set her down outside. And I was really upset. They And so they started to walk away. I said, wait a minute, that chair is heavy. You guys bring it back because I'm not carrying it back. So we carried it back and that's how we met. But Halloween is very important because this was in early September and uh, Halloween is a really big, big deal in New Haven. And we were all dressed up and with this circle of friends and it was on Halloween that we started realizing we were looking for each other more than for everybody else. Yeah. So we hung out together through Halloween and then every night thereafter. 
and uh, it's about a week later that I kind of moved into Sharyan's apartment. Yeah. Wow, you guys move fast. Maybe yeah. it was. But we didn't Halloween. get engaged for another two months. Yeah. Oh my god! I can't even. I can't even. <laughs> oh, all right. Tell me about that Halloween because some <laughs> it must have been a heck of a. Well, I guess in New Haven they do it up big, huh? <laughs> oh wow! Do they ever? It is. Um, I have never seen it like any place else. Really, something. Yeah, everybody's in costume. The president of the university opens up his house, and students come in to you know have refreshments and party. And the whole street out in front is is uh, blocked off for for parties, and it's quite a celebration. And a lot of the stores, a lot of the shops have competitions and such too. It's really the whole. It's not just the university; the whole town is involved everybody is in costume and partying all night. That's amazing. And is that where your love of Halloween started for both of you or? No, I was always into it. Mm -hmm. I I think that was, that was uh, special for me. I mean, since then I've enjoyed it a lot more. I grew up loving Halloween, and if I had known this about New Haven, it might have, you know, influenced me to move there, but I've only found out about it at no, this moment. No, New Haven otherwise was not the place at the uh-huh. time. Yeah, and you went to that other school. but Actually, I- um, it was much nicer town-wise there. Halloween is about the only positive thing one can say about New Haven, except for the university. The pizza. Yeah. And I've heard other good things about it now. You know, change has come and things. Well, anyway. Um, (laughs) But we have to move on because we will uh, go down the rabbit hole of our mutual hobbies. Um, I have only met the other two members of your household, Bella and Ozone, on Zoom, never in person. And I can you tell us a little about them and how you all came to live together? Sure. I think really the place to start is with our first pet bird, who was named Vivoli. And uh, like Bella. Like Bella. Mm-hmm. We got her many years ago. And um, and she taught us a lot about animals and nature and animal intelligence. And I think most important, birds are not domesticated. They can be tame, but they are inherently still wild animals. And so we need to learn to accept them on their terms. And that that taught us a lot. She changed us in a lot of ways. And... It's been really a wonderful trip, but because of her, we started learning about all kinds of birds. Ozone is a rescue, and he came to us because after Vivoli's death, we called a a local rescue in D.C. and asked if they could use anything of hers, and they said yes, her humans. (laughs) Uh They wanted to foster a bird for a few months who had been injured and they didn't adopt out birds. They just 
but this was a fostering medical situation. So we said, sure. And we took him. And after a few months, he didn't want to go back to the point that when the head of the rescue came to look look into the situation he started running away and cowering <laughs> to hide from her in corners that that's ozone yeah so and, it was very clear that ozone um uh-huh. ozone us yes and he's an african gray right no 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 oh, he is he's a blue front amazon oh okay not a gray at all he's green he is bright green with red on his shoulders and a blue forehead. I think I was misled by, you know, African grays being so much in the press because of, you know, high intelligence and being able to do number problems on TV. Exactly. Um, so the, uh, the, the Amazons are um, probably as intelligent as the African gray, but they don't speak as clearly. They, they mumble. They mumble uh-huh. But they're very musical, and some of the greys sing quite well. Uh, Ozone loves music. He does sing some. He once sang the words of happy birthday to the tune of Mac the Knife. (laughs) That must have floated your boat. That must have filled your heart with joy. (laughs) We lost it. We were laughing so hard. He loves Beethoven. He also loves uh, doo-wop. And uh, one of my students who works with Irene Pepperberg in her lab, or at least did before COVID, um, has babysat him. And she started singing Disney tunes to him. So now he likes Disney tunes. There's music he really does not like. He lets us know about that. Any but, particular genres that don't meet with his approval? He's not big on experimental jazz. He's, uh, some traditional jazz he'll he's okay with, but but anything that's really novel or cutting edge, he's he's less thrilled with that. Also, mm-hmm. some hard rock. Yeah, he is not fond of really hard rock. Mm-hmm. Maybe rock not into a- heavy metal either. Oh, no, no, he does not like heavy metal, which is too bad, because I do, but... <laughs> I figured you would. <laughs> and I, uh-huh. who does like investing. Yeah. Could you say that again, because there was a little drop? Uh, sure. So, much to Sharian's horror, Ozone likes country western. <gasps> oh, oh, Sharian, I'm so sorry. Yes, that's hard. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, he may be very intelligent, but musical taste is like another category. Um, Yeah, (laughs) yeah, no accounting for taste. Yeah, and I know he's been sick lately because when he came to St. Francis Day at church on Zoom, he wasn't well. How is he feeling now? Well, the thing is, is he has tested positive for Bornavirus, which is, it can't be cured. But he's asymptomatic. He's got something happening with his leg, with his foot, that it's clenched up and he's on pain medication. And it's still happening and he's still on medication. But other than that, 
he's asymptomatic for the virus and birds can live with this for years without being symptomatic, but it cannot be cured. It can't really be treated. And eventually it is fatal. But so far he's doing very well. And with the pain medication, his foot seems to be doing well. As long as he takes his medication, which we give to him on on a favorite food. Like Uh cookies. (laughs) Just in case it ever comes up, if you ever need to give me medication, I would prefer it on that substrate as well. (laughs) Uh, He is spoiled rotten. And we sometimes buy his cookies at When Pigs Fly. Oh! (laughs) Yeah, a little farm. He does not get, like, you know, Chunky things. No wonder he didn't want to leave you guys and be, you know, rehoused with the <laughs> the animal shelter. Wait, could you tell me the name and maybe spell it of the virus he has? Because our audience has virus on the brain very much and might appreciate clarity here. It's called Bornavirus, B-O-R-N-A-V-I-R-U-S. Yeah, Okay. When I told a good friend about it, she misheard it and thought it was coronavirus. Explain, <laughs> no, no, no. This is not something that people get or anything. No, and the ozone's not about to wear a mask. Right, right. Yeah, no. I'm sure he would be mask resistant. What your friend thought on the phone was what I f- was afraid our audience would think. So I wanted to clarify that. Yeah, and this is a completely different. Mm-hmm. Bird only thing. Mm-hmm. And can you tell me about Bella and how, like, how long had you had ozone when Bella entered your lives? So, um, when ozone entered our lives, we actually had another bird at the time, a little um, macaw, mini macaw, and we had uh, him for many years. When when we lost him, um, we got another cockatiel from rescue. And unfortunately, she was on in years, and, and uh, although she was deeply loved for the short time she was with us, it was only a short time. And then a few months later, we got Bella from Rescue, and Bella is much younger. The folks at Rescue thought that Bella was male, and we didn't think so because we looked at the markings. But just to remove all doubt, about the third day that Bella was in our house, she was sitting on my shoulder and she laid an egg. Oh, my goodness. Her name. Why her name is Bella? Because it's not what people might think. It's a math thing. Oh. John is a statistician. Right. So... um, so Bella is, the, the type of cockatiel that Bella is, is called a normal, because she has the normal markings of gray and yellow. And um, the normal distribution is also a thing in statistics. So um, I said, well, let's name her Gauss, who is a well-known mathematician that worked with the Gaussian distribution, the normal distribution. And Sharon put her foot down at that point and said... We are not naming our adorable little girly Gauss. (laughs) How about Bell for the middle of the bell curve? Oh, yes. Well, let's keep with the Italian and name her Bella instead of Bell. 
This and was that's... after the egg. Yes. Actually, we named her before because we were pretty certain. Ah, that's right. Yes, you because of the markings. Um, what <laughs> I'm very curious about this. What happened on John's shoulder when the egg happened? <laughs> well, the egg rolled off and landed on the counter. I was actually working in the kitchen at the time. It fell on my shoulder. And um, and so the egg landed on the counter and made a splat. Oh no! Oh my goodness! What were you okay? Was Bella okay? Oh yeah, yeah. She couldn't care less. She is not very she's motherly. Not, she's not terribly uh, maternal. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Basically, I she does, she loves to fly, but she always wants to be on John's shoulder. Otherwise, hmm. A big formative experience might have happened there, and she's returning to that spot. Um, well, I'm I'm glad it ended well. I was, you know, fearing that she would have been upset, and I wow. could imagine John being a little startled as well. I, I was surprised, but um... especially when the second egg came. What? Yeah. You didn't mention a second egg. Okay, what happened? Tell the story. Well, so typically when cockatiels lay their eggs, they lay a clutch of several eggs and um, they can lay them, you know, a day apart or every other day. Um, and so the second egg, of course, came and that, that was all she laid for that, that round. And we, we now have her on the pill, basically. <sighs> Did the second egg happen at that same time in the kitchen and went splat on the counter? No, no, that was later and she laid that one in her cage. Okay. I'm a little relieved that first episode was a little um, startling for me. Um, <laughs> uh, so now she's on the pill, so all is um, under control. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, um, because I'm a real animal lover, now basically I all I want to do is like ask you about all the birds you've ever had and all the funny things they've done. But I know that Time is ticking on, and our audience probably wants to hear about other things. And I have one last sort of area to ask you about that's a personal of interest of mine. And John, you studied math, and I started out as a math major originally. And so I was assuming that you and I both came to science fiction while we were being little science geeks growing up. And I wanted to ask, one, was that true for you? And two, how did Sharian get there? Was she a, were you a science geek too, Sharian? Or did you arrive at SF by a different path? So for me, I was not a science fiction fan, particularly because of, of science. I, um, you know, I, I, I liked some of the shows like Star Trek. But I was never an avid reader. In fact, I am. Uh, I had a terrible time growing up learning to read, uh, and uh, to this day, I'm a very slow reader. But it wasn't really until I met Sharian that she introduced me to all sorts of wonderful science fiction and fantasy, and uh, it's been great ever since. And I think I was a bit of a geek growing up. My dad was one of those guys with a crew cut. Uh, he didn't wear glasses, but with a um, slide rule on his belt, who made the um, 
the space program happen. Um, oh, wow. What, wait, was he a physicist? No, 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 no. He was uh, um, doing uh, electrical engineering. He told me about going in and programming computers in assembly language in a clean room and how he had to put on that. And uh, he, he did work on, um, he did, he was a test technician. So he was testing electronic gear on um, Mercury, Gemini, Apollo. Um, he did some work on the, um, on the Eagle, the lunar lander, first one. Probably the proudest thing he did. Um, he also worked on Dinosaur, which was the um, precursor to the shuttle. And he just taught me stuff. I, 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 of course, was like all kids in my generation, completely space crazy. So he taught me a bunch of stuff over the kitchen table. He would draw stuff on napkins and explain aerodynamics to me. And I wanted to be an astronaut in absolutely the worst way. He wanted me to be an engineer. And every time I said, I want to be an astronaut, he'd say, I build those things. I don't want my kid going up in one. Ah! And he explained to me the mathematic reliability. Um, I didn't care. I wanted to be an astronaut, but it wasn't happening. Um, I had terrible vision. And I knew that. And I was hoping something would come along, but LASIK was not soon enough for me. I've had it since, but anyway. So how did you start reading SF like as a kid and sort of yes. my yeah. first book that I bought for myself with my allowance was a science fiction book by Andre Norton. <gasps> yep. So Stopped reading science fiction for a long time, and I picked it up again in college. Um, and it's really funny because I was doing evolutionary biology in college and population genetics, which was a lot of math, but I had somehow gotten myself convinced that I wasn't very good at math. Um, I, I don't understand how that was put together but it was um and I had started writing and anyway when we were in grad school it was um John who started showing me and tried to convince me that in fact I was was actually pretty good at math which I refused to believe and then I took this uh, graduate class in algebra uh and I really liked it it was a lot of fun I was doing really well in it um, but I'm still kind of in a state of denial. And I keep saying that must have been a super easy class or something. It couldn't have been anything serious because I really enjoyed it and I was really good at it. So clearly it wasn't real math. Except it was. It was algebra. Algebra was fun. <laughs> How did you end up where you are now being so again I was gonna head into our all our spiritual lives but I have to ask how did you end up being a writer um and teaching writing how'd you end up doing that oh well this is it's a long story but being a writer okay and this does work into spiritual life um I always knew I would be 
um, in fourth grade, we were asked to write a poem. And I wrote it. And after I wrote it, this thing happened to me. Like I felt like this hand came down on my head and then it like went through my whole body. It, um, there was this thing inside between all of the empty space between the atoms in the molecules. And it basically said, or I knew this is what you will do. And I knew that, and that was it. And I was going to be a writer. And when I was sixth grade, my father explained to me about graduate school and it was like more school signed me up for that. Um, and so in sixth grade, I decided I was gonna be a writer and a college professor and here I am. And, um, and that's how I knew that John and I were gonna get married too. Um, that same voice told me we'd been dating for like two weeks and it was, you're going to marry him. And I was like, no, no, that's not the plan. And, um, well. Yeah. And here we are. Yep. And I think John had the same feeling too. It's like, we didn't make any decision ourselves about getting married. It was just. It, it was inevitable. Yeah. It was just there. Okay. Dear audience, this uh, interview is going completely off script and all <laughs> everything I had imagined. <laughs> I'm just going to follow along with where it's taking me. Um, <laughs> um, Sharian, Sh I've got to say thank you for sharing that because... I don't normally talk about that experience when I was nine. That was, it was something. You know, in my experience of talking to people, many, many people have various experiences, you know, not necessarily like that, but just these kinds of unusual experiences that they are um, reluctant to share because they don't have a way to talk about them that is like... I don't know, socially acceptable or something. Um, okay, uh, let me ask John, because John, you said something about something similar, having a similar experience. Can you unpack that a little more? Um, well, there are a couple of experiences here. So in terms of, of um, knowing that I was going to marry Sharian, it, it wasn't a particular experience so much as just... Um, a, a knowledge, a certainty that, that this is this is where my life is headed. Um, but in terms of spiritual experiences, um, there was one that I had uh, when I was in grad school after I met Sharian, um, in which uh, I, I just had this profound experience in which um, there was a presence of God that was like in me and and uh, delivering a message to me. This all was happening in a dream, but it was a very lucid dream. Mm -hmm. And I woke up from it and there was no mistake. This, this was not a typical dream. This was uh, a deep experience. And the message in that dream was God is one. 
and it was this recognition of, of the unity of all creation. And to this day, that's probably the most profound experience I've had of the divine. And I think experiences like that, that many of us, but not all of us have sort of stay with a person uh, all our lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Sharyan, do you feel that way also? Certainly the experience I've had. Yeah. It, I can feel it now the way I did when it happened. And when you two were kind of at this point, you were both from different faith backgrounds. Did it, did you even sort of pause to like consider that or how did that play out? I don't even know how to ask this question. This interview is totally off the rails. Okay. (laughs) Just tell me. (laughs) Do you care? Not at all. I'm loving it. <laughs> it's a freeform interview. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, freeform. <laughs> yeah. So when when we met, um, at that point, um, I was I was going through my atheist phase. I was raised Episcopalian and rebelled against the church. Actually, you rebelled against his mother. Yeah. <laughs> there was that too. Yep. And, mm-hmm. Um. And that actually was probably very healthy because I, I managed to um, clean out a lot of, of baggage and misperceptions about faith and and my perceptions of God. But when I met Sharyan, she um, she posed lots of challenging questions for me and probed, and we had lots of late night discussions about these things that um, started the wheels turning. Um, I forget what's the question. I forget too. <laughs> Where were you at? Background. Did we yeah. care? No. Did we um, care? Did you care? Yeah. Uh, no, because since I knew with this like absolute certainty, like I, like that, I remember specifically because I was coming down the hall, down the stairs in the hall of graduate studies, and John was down there, and it was like being kicked with a shoe up the head <laughs> and hearing this thing you will marry this man and I was like uh no not the plan and I've only known him two we've only been dating two weeks what do you mean you know it's like yep this is kind of in a way um you know give me a little t- no I don't even know if I like him that much yet <laughs> you know yeah um, not that much time yeah, but bam, you will marry him. That's it. I don't, that was kind of weird. Um, but it was absolute. It was certain. There was no question about it. It was like, and you will be a writer. And there was no question about that either. It's just, this is the way it will be. So it didn't seem to be like that was going to be an issue or that it was going to be um, anything that would be, um, or that it wasn't something we couldn't work out since it was clearly meant to be anyway. Right. That makes sense. Um, Did it bother you that John was an atheist? 
Eh. It wasn't, I, I knew it wasn't going to last. Ah! Ah! All right. Wait. All right. Sharhan, did you know it wasn't going to last because of that same kind of, uh, you know, message of what's going to happen and certainty and. No, it was just, you're going to marry him. That's yeah. that. It was, okay. Okay. <laughs> right. But he was too interested in stuff. When we were talking, you know, a real atheist wouldn't be that interested. That's right. That, yeah, that matches. I knew he wasn't really an atheist when I first asked him what he loved about math. And he said, because it's, it's true, it's beautiful, it's eternal. And I said, you've just described God. And he kind of smiled and said, yeah. (gasps) He's totally not an atheist. I have a complete puddle of like, oh my goodness, I have to clutch the table oh that is the sweetest story (sighs) okay I have to pull myself together (sighs) and and I mean we were only dating a couple of weeks at that point and he was still saying he was an atheist but you know no clearly it's not I can totally understand it's not gonna last um it was words yeah um I'll just share at this point and I can edit it out. Um, My father was an atheist and he was much more certain about it. And I sort of ended up in some ways rebelling against him, which was why I said, yep, when uh, uh, there was mention made of John rebelling against his mother. Um, Though he came back to being Episcopal and I never came back to atheism. But anyway, (laughs) I... I understand. It's way different than the way his mom was. Let me tell you. Yeah. Ah, okay. And it, okay. It, and it was a long, circuitous journey to uh, to arrive at, at the Episcopal Church again and at St. James's. Ooh, okay. Again, I'm tempted to go off track and ask, <laughs> how, <laughs> how did you end up at St. James's? Well, um, we lived here. Yeah, there were there were several things that were happening over the course of a few years. So one was um, uh, actually all because of Malia Crawford. So she was a, uh, a divinity student at Harvard way back. This was probably 20 years ago. And she was a friend of one of Sharian's friends. And we were out for a birthday dinner with Sharian's friend, Malia and we started talking and she said, so why is it you don't belong to the Episcopal church anymore? And I said a little bit about my thoughts and she said, huh, you might want to read some Marcus Borg. And she recommended a couple of books and that, that started a process of opening up, you know, new ways of looking at the church and at Jesus and at God um, and that was happening at a time when I was also starting to uh, do things like uh, labyrinth walks and, um, you know, other things to explore the spiritual side of my being. And um, and then finally, one day, um, it was a Wednesday morning. It was Ash Wednesday, and I had a dance appointment in Belmont, but it was late enough. I said, huh, I could catch the early Ash Wednesday service at St. James's. And I 
walked in and went to the service and I've never left. Wow. And you're still going to that early service. Yeah. I keep trying to remind him that he can sleep in sometimes on Sunday, but. That's, that's where it all began. And yes. So Sharian, where were you at this time? Uh, Which time? Um, I, I don't know when you were talking to Malia Crawford or when you were, when John started going to St. James or where were you spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, whatever you want to share with us. I was kind of in a, um, kind of in a conundrum, basically. I had been part of a group for a very long time, but I felt more and more distanced and we had just moved up here and I was having I was not happy with the group up here um could you tell a little about the group I realize we also have not told our audience that you're Jewish yeah I just never you're Jewish yes um Jewish um and I I identify as a conservative Jew. I am not very um, uh, observant, but the kind of observant I'm not as conservative. Uh, I've never really identified as reformed. So mm-hmm. that's the way it is. Um, and this was a kind of mystical, Kabbalistic type of group that I'd been part of for many years in DC. Yeah. And I had as well. Yes. And um, we were both breaking away from it actually, John, long before I did. Uh Uh-huh. But, um, but I was also at the time and for many years thereafter clinically depressed. Oh, I didn't, I was kind of in just an, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know what's up. Wait, Sharian, there was a a drop or you froze. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Can you hear me? Yes. Could you um, uh, sort of back up two sentences? Uh, So it was just a kind of confusing time. And... Yeah, I just wasn't sure where anything was at for me. I want to personally thank you for sharing about being clinically depressed because that has been stigmatized in our society. And I have friends who have clinical depression and when they've sort of come out about it and shared their experiences with their communities, it's been tremendously healing for the communities and of wider social benefits. So just thank you. I'm trying to do that with my students because a lot of students are. I don't do it widely and tell everybody, but if I have a student who is having problems, I will let them know. I'm I'm no longer in that position. I've had many years of therapy and I'm in a much better place now, but 
I think it's important for us to destigmatize it. It helps. I see, can see with students, it helps people go and get treatment instead of being too ashamed to get the help. There is help there and you can get better. But yes. in a very dark place, they don't realize that. And too many people go without help and they're in pain for a very long period of time where they, they don't have to be. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, that's kind of where I was when John was um, starting to find his place at St. James and his uh, his own spiritual path again. So should I ask you about like the next sort of time interval, not in terms of time, but in terms of, I don't know, realizations or wakings up or, you know, emotional or spiritual movement? Or do you want to go somewhere else from here? Um, what do you want to do? I'm I'm good either way. Yeah, I'm perfectly fine. Okay. So there you are. John has started attending St. James and Sharian is having depression and is moving along a trajectory there. Can you take it from there and what happened next sort of with your interior lives? Oh, also what birds did you have in your household and family then? So we've had ozone all along. Mm-hmm. And um, as I mentioned, we had a macaw, a little macaw named Bachi uh, that we actually got before ozone joined our flock. And, uh, and we had him until about five years ago. He was a total frat boy. He was so, he liked beer. Really going for the Darwin Award. He once chewed his way through an electrical cord. It shocked him. He flew bam across the room. He went back and he did it again. Yes. Total Darwin Award. Oh my goodness. I mean, the citizens are supposed to be really smart, but Bachi was kind of on the lower end of the smart. You do. It's back to the old bell curve again. He was just at one end of it. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. But he was but he was a hoot to be around. He was oh! Uh-huh. Okay, what's with the Italian names before we move on back into the spiritual world? So it all started with Vivoli and the reason we named her that was um it was just a year or so before we got her that we had uh, been on a trip to Italy to Florence and we loved gelato. <laughs> of course, the best gelato we have been told is in um, Florence, and the best gelateria in Florence is Vivoli. Or they say is Vivoli. We do not have enough data. <laughs> Clearly, you must do more research. <laughs> it's for science. <laughs> but but that's how Vivoli got her name, and then we kept with the uh, with the Italian theme. Mm-hmm. Also got his name from his previous owner, and they gave him to the rescue. So. Mm-hmm. We didn't change it. I, I, yeah, I figured that was a a, a heritage or a legacy name there from uh, his previous family. Uh, okay, back to spirituality and and emotions and the interior life. So we have John starting to attend St. James, 
and Sharian is in having depression or maybe recovering from or going deeper, maybe I'll ask Sharian what was happening for you and what went on? Did you leave the group then? It was just, it was just pretty dark for a long time. And I was kind of wavering all over the place. And I, I was feeling like I was agnostic, except I was still, I still identified very strongly as Jewish. And John and I continued to have a lot of discussions about what he was going through as he started going further on his own spiritual journey. And he would point out things, uh, contradictions in what I would say, which I agreed with him, but it didn't matter. And we'd both crack up and that would be fine. But eventually I started getting better and that made things a whole lot better. And did you do anything you know, when you got better, did you rejoin the group or did you do? No, mm-hmm. I, I, no the group was just not good news for me. And is there anything that you sort of credit or anything that sort of turned you towards coming out of the depression? Therapy. Therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here. A lot of years of therapy. Yep. Yep. And John, where were you spiritually and emotionally at this time? Um, so, you know, I, I was, before I discovered St. James's, I was going through a lot of questioning and searching because as I said, I'd, I'd been part of this um, group as well and was finding it less satisfying and looking for other answers and when I connected with St. James's, it was, it was at a time when all sorts of exciting things were happening for me spiritually. So I was discovering a lot about myself and a lot about the world. And I think one of the many strengths of our marriage is that Charlie and I have always been able to, to share things with each other. So she was very supportive in terms of, you know, I want to talk about ideas but also in giving each other space to do and pursue what it is we each want to do. Wow. Um, (laughs) So I was going to say so inspiring, and that seemed like some Hallmark cliche thing, so I bit it back. But it's moving what you've just shared. And I want to now shift the focus into a kind of wide lens view of how being in a marriage that's one of you is Jewish, one of you is Christian, and you're different people, how that, and it's it seems like your marriage has just been tremendously um, sort of I wanted to say nutritive for you but it's just given you so much anything you want to share about that please do yeah um it was interesting even before we were married um Sharon has always felt very strongly especially about observing Seder and uh so she invited me to her family's for Seder the first year that that um we were together 
and this is my uncle who doesn't do a very good Seder. But um, right, uh huh. But it it opened up some ideas for me. I mean, even at that point, um, when I was still in my semi atheist phase, and um, you know, ever since then, I mean, we've we've shared experiences and. We celebrate both sets of holidays and, um, you know, it's, it's enriching. There were, there have been periods when John's talked about going to div school. And I have said that I would have trouble if he became a priest. I mean, that, that would be really difficult for me, but he assured me that that is not. There is absolutely no danger of that. (laughs) That I can assure you. Um, so the fascination with Div School for me is is the study of early Christianity because it's it's a fascinating just intellectually it's fascinating to understand all the aspects of Christianity that were going on in the first couple centuries of the Common Era and uh, what finally coalesced into what we know today. And I actually think that for John, living with someone who's Jewish has given him a lot more context for a lot of that early era stuff. Um, For me, I think a lot of what we talk about is on a very abstract intellectual level, very similar. A lot of the way he talks about his view of the Trinity would be things that I can put Hebrew names to but there are certain things I just cannot cross. There are certain lines that I, there are places I just can't go. And that's, that's historical and ethnic. And some of it has to do with his mother who was badgering me like crazy all the time to to come to church until in the middle of the midnight mass at Christmas in the, um, cathedral in Seattle I ran down the wrong way down the central aisle in tears and locked myself in the car that was the only way she stopped trying to force me to go to church for years I'm so glad that that happened and that she got the message wow (laughs) when I say John was rebelling against his mother yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and then she yeah. tried to get me to take communion. And it was like, she would say, well, you can come as an observer. It's like, that's fine. I'm, I'm fine with that. And then I can't take communion. I'm not even Christian. Okay. That's wrong. It's just wrong. Wow. Not that. <laughs> John, can you give us kind of snapshot view of what your parents were like and what their attitude towards religion was like? Sure. So in, in describing my parents, um, I'm actually going to steal some of Sharon's thunder. Okay. Because um, some psychologists would probably have a field day analyzing me. So my mother was orphaned in her early teens and after that so is i people can turn out okay nevertheless anyway go ahead yeah and um and so that becomes relevant when when charlie talks about her parents um but she she grew up presbyterian as did my father 
my grandmother or my, my father's mother was Presbyterian. My father's father was actually lapsed Mormon. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. I'm pretty much a non-believer. But anyway, when, um, when my dad went to the Naval Academy, uh, the Book of Common Prayer was the standard service at the Naval Academy Chapel. And so he kind of liked it. And him, my mother decided they would join the Episcopal Church. And so when I came along, that's, that's how I was raised. And did you have siblings and were they raised? I have, yes, I have one older brother, uh, five years older than I am. And um, he actually was interested in going into the priesthood at one point. He is now a retired attorney. Um, he, he ended up having a long career in law, first in private practice and then for the state of Texas. And just the one brother. And some people tell me that they felt their parents just went through the motions in attending church because it was, you know, the social or cultural thing to do. Did, how did you feel, what did you think about your parents' relationship with God? Uh, It was very important to them, my mother and it, it wasn't just that they were regular church. They were very involved with, with the church. I know, in fact, that the first church I ever in, I can't say set foot in, um, <laughs> was, uh, was the National Cathedral. I know that because my, my dad was stationed in Washington, D.C. at the time that my mother became pregnant. And she um, had just been to see the doctor who was confirming, yes, indeed, she was expecting and everything looked good. And she stopped and went into the Bethlehem Chapel at the cathedral to pray prayer of Thanksgiving. So will you think me irreverent if I say that I'm flashing back to Bella and the egg on your shoulder in the kitchen? (laughs) Not in the least. And are your parents happy that you're now kind of basically nicely, you know, lodged here in the Episcopal Church? Uh, If they were with us physically, they probably would be. Mm -hmm. Um, My mother actually um, passed away uh, 30 plus years ago. You have to tell the story about... And, your mother's funeral because that was hilarious and um <laughs> well, my mother always always was trying to get us to go to church me especially and um, <laughs> wait is this a funeral oh, story because i want to get ready to hang on to the table because i can tell this is going to be a good okay. one also always wanted us we were living in dc they were living in annapolis she always wanted us to stay over even though it was like a 45 minute drive and she also always wanted our wedding anniversary to be that they would come along with us on our anniversary celebration. Okay. I'm going to need some footnotes here. Why? Why? Because she, I don't know, because she thought it was a family celebration rather than it was private. Right. So anyway, um, she actually died a couple days before our, um, our anniversary and um and so sure enough we packed a bag and dashed over to be with my dad and stayed at their house 
through that weekend and through the funeral. And um, the funeral, of course, was was uh, Saint Anne, at St. Anne's in Annapolis, the Episcopal Church that, that they attended. Uh, and so she got everything she wanted on the day of her funeral. She, it was our, the day of her funeral was our anniversary. <gasps> we both wow. To- okay, somebody's having fun with all of this. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So we both went to church. We celebrated her anniversary with her. And, and the whole family. I mean, the family. whole family, like 30-some people. And we stayed over. So yep. she got it all. <gasps> yep. She got you to stay over after years of trying for it. Oh, my goodness. Yep. The whole thing. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. I, 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 I can't even. All right. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> just can't. Moving on to Sharian, Sh- can you tell us about your parents and their relationship well, to God? Well, first of all, my I was also orphaned in my early teens. <laughs> my dad died when I was 13. Oh and- my God. Uh, just, all right, breaking in here to say that sometimes, Sharian, we got to get together because we have so much in common. Anyway, go right ahead. Go ahead. The thing is, is that's one of the reasons why I think John could put up with me, too, is that because I worry about people and stuff and he could deal with it. He knew I wasn't being um, like overly crazy and protective, but that I knew think bad things could happen. Um, And my mom died um, like 15 months after my dad. Ouch. Yeah. Um. My, and like I said, my dad was this super engineering geek and um, with the space program, my mom was an artist, a painter, and we have her paintings around her house. Uh, she was at Art Students League. She dropped out because that's what you did when you were a housewife in the 1950s and 60s, um, or when you were a woman then. Um, anyway, um my mom was essentially conservative Jew. My father was adamantly reformed. And I didn't understand this until we took um, a tour in Berlin. And I knew that my father's family was in part from Berlin. There's this long story about my father's 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 family and how he ended up in the U.S. and essentially he was running away from women, um, but the the wife we were descended from was the Berlin family, and we were in Berlin and we took this uh, tour with a group of, with a you an American grad student Jewish who is doing his dissertation on Jews in Berlin, and it was about the. Uh, history of the Jews in Berlin. It was not about the Holocaust, as he started out saying that's four years out of over a thousand years. And one of the things he showed us was the new synagogue and explained how the beginning of Reform Judaism and Orthodox Judaism happened over the split in this particular synagogue. And suddenly all the pieces connected for me and said, that's why my father was always so adamant about being a reformed Jew. It's because of this schism in this particular synagogue being carried down through generations of my family 
in the United States where I never knew why my father was so, why it was such a big deal to him. But my mother practiced as conservative. And I think that's maybe why I feel like the conservative practice feels more right to me. And so after my parents died, I went to shul. I I said uh, Yiska for both of them uh, for 30 days, twice a day, which is unusual, especially for a girl, especially for a kid. How, you were 14? I was 13 with my 13. dad. 13, okay. Yep. But that's of age. Yep, right, exactly. Did you have your... Um... I was never bat mitzvah, no. Okay, yeah, they didn't, with girls, they didn't pay attention to that so much. Yeah, and my mom was real big on, you're a girl, you don't do it. Uh, right yeah no okay. my mom was actually telling me that if we had money for only me or my brother to go to college it would have to go to my brother because he was gonna um support a family and I was just gonna get married and um my mother and I had a lot of uh issues about that <sighs> wow I was not going to buy into her whole um, you're just going to, you You better give up on all this stuff because you're going to get married and have children and that's what you have to do because you're female. Which is why the whole you're going to marry this man was not in the plan because I was going to be independent. <sighs> support of strong, intelligent, independent women. So it was cool. Most of the guys I knew in grad school were not. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. Um, but I, on my own, joined a USY group, United Synagogue Youth, um, and was pretty involved for a few years in high school until I became a Trotskyite. Oh! <laughs> Sorry. Okay. And I was a Trotskyite. Shari, wait, I have to say, Shari, that's the first thing you've said that I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> How did you become a Trotskyite? Why? <laughs> um, social justice questions. Oh, all right. Never mind. All my questions are answered. Yep. Okay. Okay. Also, too, I went to a camp because I was living with an aunt and uncle. Things weren't going well. So I went to summer camp for um, an entire summer. And it was um, a Zionist, but a socialist Zionist summer camp where I met some red diaper babies and we got into the whole super socialist thing, um, got out of that. They turned me onto a whole bunch of social justice issues. Um, and within about eight months, I had joined a Trotskyite party in New York. Okay. That, that do. Wait. All right. Yes. Wow. Okay. I can see the whole thing. I love the red diaper. Yes. I want to like, you know, entitle our podcast that wait um so you were in college what age were you uh I went to college at 17 okay so you were anyway so and um but the party kicked me out when I insisted on going to graduate school because why because this was a super working class party and I was supposed to drop out of college um and become um get a blue collar job and organized workers for labor union. And it was like, no, I'm not doing that. I know I can like, that is so not you. Oh my goodness. Yeah. All right. and then, um, with grad school, that was not. It was, it was petty bourgeois. 
Yep. Yep. I was petty bourgeois, so I got thrown out. Oh, you know, oh, this takes too? me... Oh, wait, this is another thing you want to know. Yep. I had a lot of trouble being an atheist. You had shit, I mean, In the party, I was... I'm failing. I can totally see... Privately, I had a lot of doubts, but I, you know, I kept them to myself. You I mean, had a lot of doubts about atheism, but you kept them to yourself. That is so cute. But, you know, when you're a communist like that, you have to. So. You're like a little like communist and you want to be accepted and you're like having, to... sorry, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, you know, just. For our audience's benefit, I'm going to say that at various times during the podcasts, I have to amplify volume to make sure that everyone can hear everything. After my squealing about Sharian's stories, I'm going to have to like decrease my volume. All right. I will now stop interrupting. Go ahead, Sharian. Well, that was it pretty much. I went to grad school and I met him. And you know the rest from there. What did he think of your Trotskyite leanings? Um, I was surprised. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, politically, um, I think while we were leaning in similar directions, somebody was leaning much further to the left than I was. And, um, and has been ever since. And has it's been ever been since, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm the moderately progressive and Sharian's the more radically progressive. Gosh, all these like, you know, divergences in your marriage. One's Jewish, one's Christian, one's uh moderately progressive, one's extremely progressive. How do you don't call it extremely progressive? <laughs> I am like way, way, way out. Right. Way I, am out. Not I am a radical. <laughs> radically progressive how do you just a radical just a radical okay i have to say that again i am uh you know um more comfortable with uh well it's probably because sharian sharian and i both grew up in new york um but i'm more comfortable with that what part of new york are you from Upper Upper West Side. So where? Where? Ninety seventh in Amsterdam. Oh my God! I'm from ninety fifth between Amsterdam and Columbus. No, no, oh, you're shit. not. All right, I nearly said a bad word that would not be okay. Well, I said a bad word. So. You did? Okay, I'm just gonna leave it in. It's like a bl- two blocks away from you. Yes. Wait, you moved somewhere out of Manhattan. Where'd you go? New Haven. New, straight to New Haven? Oh, my goodness. All right. All right. Sorry. I'm when like... I told my family where I was going to school, they all said, what do you mean? If you have to go to, to, to you school, go to- yeah, why don't you go to Columbia? I said, because yeah. you told me to come home from lunch. I went to high school further away than that. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, it's no I wonder to a single college on the island on our island wow you didn't go to college in new york no no i i yeah no i yeah, you ran i ran yeah did yeah you apply i i in new york sorry say that again did you apply anywhere on manhattan certainly not no because my number one choice was actually mcgill 
my grandmother <gasps> found my application and tore it up. Because she yeah. said, oh my! I had. Oh, we must have had the same grandmother. All you're right. Not Jewish. She can't be my, your grandmother. I, I maybe they shared a soul or so, I don't know, but that was the. Oh, I could tell you story. Anyway, all right. You um, don't need to. We have the same grandmother. We have the same grand. Uh, yeah. All right. Said, you- <laughs> yeah, when I did all my applications in secret, she she said. It's so cold up there. It's like Siberia. You'll be home before Thanksgiving. Yeah. Right. Fine. Um, yeah, we have the same grandmother. Anyway, so back to the present. I'd like to ask you both how the four of you are doing in these um, interesting times. It's the end of October. There's... Halloween and uh, one of the more interesting elections happening in the beginning of November. How are all the both of you and how are Bella and Ozo and how are your families? Um, I think all considered we're doing well. Um, Despite the pandemic, we're both very fortunate to uh, to still be gainfully employed, even though working remotely leaves a lot to be desired. And um, I think we're nervous about the election because so much hangs on it. Yeah, we've been doing, trying to do a little bit. I don't feel like it was enough, but writing letters for Vote Forward and trying to get out the vote some because it's so important. And, but personally, quite honestly, I like having John home this month. <laughs> I bet Bella and Ozone do too. Yes, they do. Oh, especially Bella. Um, yeah, I mean, I like having him home. They say that this being um, locked down with your partner has shown what, if, how relationships work and if, it's not working. It's really created a lot of um, divorces, but John and I are really happy with the lockdown together. I mean, we miss our friends. We miss travel a lot, but, um, but I don't miss him having to travel or anything. Kind of like the fact that we eat dinner together every night and we hang out together every night, except when he works all night, which is kind of like grad school. No, it's 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 wonderful to have this much time together and um, and not be spending it, you know, traveling for business or even just commuting. I mean, the, the fact that we have this much time, in, especially in the evenings, um, is wonderful. Yeah. So I feel a little guilty sometimes that I know so many people have it so badly and we're relatively so much better off than so many people so i feel like the only thing we can do is is give more and and try and help so i am tearing up here because you guys are so sweet thank you so much for talking to me today and sharing with us all 
Before we end this podcast, the three of us would like you to know three things. One is that if you'd like to read Sharian's science fiction books, you can find them in the library, order them through your local bookstore, or get them online. You can find her books listed on her Wikipedia page and also on her publisher's website at fantasticbooks.biz. I'm considering reading Memento Mori next. It's about a virus quarantine planet. Um, hmm. The second thing we'd like you to know is that John is on the stewardship committee for St. James. The stewardship theme this year is growing in connection. Please grow in connection with your community and with your church in any way you can. I am really cooled out by the graphic and redesign for the stewardship campaign. You can see it in the Sunday news for November 1st. The third thing is that if you have thoughts about any of our podcasts or if you would like to hear someone interviewed, please email the Rev Matt at matt at stjamescambridge.org. Thank you for spending this time with us. Bye.